Freedom, sedition, rebellion. This is the heritage of the American patriot. Those revolutionaries who stood on principle to fight against tyranny no matter the cost. And that spirit lives strong today in the activists and freedom fighters who fight against the authoritarian state. Each in their own way, each with their own mission, united for the cause. had the idea to run on a platform of fuck the police prior to actually winning the primary. I mean, AOC is a drama queen and she's full of shit. They said, you don't get to tell us no, we're in the state health department, and I said, hell no. You brought a freaking guillotine. People already pushing back in ways that didn't even need any votes to be cast. I'm not ratting on anybody, and I did what I did, so you're going to have to give me what the law says you have to give me. You want to make the world a better place? Have some babies, and raise them to not be stupid. Hope I don't get canceled. Talk to you. These are the people whose stories I'm here to share. I'm Justin O'Donnell, and this is Submersive. Man, governments are not going to like this shit. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, activists, anarchists, and people of the internet, thank you for tuning in to Subversive 72. As always, I'm your host, Justin O'Donnell. And before we get started, just remember whatever platform you listen on, whether YouTube Live, Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or LRN.FM, you can help grow the show by liking, commenting, subscribing, and most of all, sharing the content with your friends. And if you enjoy this content, you can join our production team by visiting patreon.com slash O'Donnell. Again, that's patreon.com slash O'Donnell to join the insurgency today. Make sure to check out our sponsor, SnackSwag.com, for all your favorite subversive official podcast merch and more. Uh, Whether that's brand new designs for t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, dresses, swag, merch, and more that you can wear your principles literally on your sleeves today at SnackSwag.com. SnackSwag.com. So go check it out and get your merch. It's great Liberty merch, and I'm the bulk of my wardrobe as it is myself. Um, and if you want to keep in touch between the shows, follow me on social media and join our community Discord channel where you can chat with other fans of the show at any time. All these links can be found in the description of the video or podcast you're listening to. Uh, so make sure to check them out today. Now, two years ago, gas was at two, under $2. And today it's over $5. Americans are reeling in pain as inflation hits them directly in the pocketbooks at the pump. And most are blaming Joe Biden directly. Uh, chance of let's go Brandon, stickers on the gas pumps, Everybody seems to forget the fact that it was the Trump administration and Republicans that were responsible for the single largest spending bill in history with COVID stimuluses funneling $6 trillion into corporate slush funds and bankrupting the American people by making their savings worthless overnight with the largest printing of money in history. But that reality aside, both parties being culpable, the American people should be looking for answers to a broken political system that's robbing them blind at every turn. But where do they have to look? The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the country, and it's led the way academically, principally, and politically for 50 years, but it's failed electorally in every single contest it's ever entered. So where does that leave them? Well, last week, the Libertarian Party held its national convention in Reno, uh, not only to elect new leadership, and but to settle a battle for the heart and soul of the Libertarian Party and the Liberty Movement itself to determine its direction moving forward. In the end, the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus and their army of Ron Paul Libertarians won out and swept control of the Libertarian National Committee, ousting several longtime party leaders and activists along the way and leaving tensions high and feelings raw as they left the venue and headed home, hopefully to get back to the real work of putting boots on the ground in the fight for liberty. But was it all good? Was it all bad? Was the change really more symbolic than anything else? Who knows? Only time will tell, but tonight... Ohio Libertarian Party delegate and non-Mises Caucus member, A.J. Olding, joins the show to recap his experience at the convention, what went down, where we leave moving forward, and discuss his thoughts on the controversies, their outcomes, and what it might mean for the future of the Libertarian Party. A.J., thanks for joining again. Welcome back. How are you today? I'm doing all right, man. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'd say non-caucus member entirely, <laughs> not just non-Mises Caucus. I... I I really, uh, I, I believe very strongly in, in not factionalizing myself. I'm an anarcho-anarchist and I am a libertarian and I don't like putting more qualifiers on it than that. If you were to join the anti-caucus caucus, would that defeat the point? I, well, okay, no. Um, I had, I made this joke to several people that I think um, maybe we should have brought t-shirts uh, to convention reading already against the next caucus. Um <laughs> I think they're mostly a waste of time. 
but they're also know. a sign of growing up. They're a sign of being kind of stepping into the stage as the big boys party. Like they've been around forever and they're nothing new to the libertarian party. As long as I've been around, there's been the pragmatist caucus. There's been the mm-hmm. uh, radical caucus, the big two focuses of every central fight in a long time uh, through the libertarian party's history. But there's also been the outright caucus, which is a single issue focused caucus on LGBT issues. Socialist um, caucus, the audacious caucus. They fold, you know. Yeah. Well, they all fold in time. Um, just like their economic principles. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we had the Pineapple Caucus, which was focused almost exclusively on sex workers' rights and um, normalizing kink in the broader spectrum of liberty. But who, like, there are single-issue caucuses, issue-based caucuses, and fundamentally principally-based caucuses all the time. And I'm not sure they're necessarily a bad thing because they really are what drives the principles and like the academic growth of the Liberty Libertarian Party in its place in the Liberty Movement. And they're also not unique to us. Like no. the Republican Party has the Liberty Caucus, the Freedom Caucus. Like, and we've seen them to varying degrees of being somewhere between great and awful over the years. <laughs> <laughs> but is this really just a sign shades, of growing up? Yeah. <laughs> is this a sign of growing up? Sure. Yeah, it's a sign of growing up. Um it is, um, but it's also sort of a sign of, of particularly, and again, I'm not going to pick on any one caucus here, but we'll just, since since they're the ones who just took over, the Mises caucus, it, it's also sort of a sign of like one caucus's ability to come in and have like 70% of delegates at one convention is sort of a sign of, of infancy though as well because it's like 700 people can just show up to a thing. And was that a problem with the rules, or is it a problem with the old garden's inability to play by the rules? Oh, 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 hang on, hang on. I think, I think neither is what I'm real. Neither is the point that I'm driving at. Yes, I think is a little bit more to both. To it can be, it can be both things that you're saying, but neither of those is really the point that I'm driving at. So much as like the point I'm driving at is like uh, we have so small small and activist base right that one wing of this activist base went and just recruited to their specific niche activist base and took over the party and it's like oh well the entire umbrella of libertarianism should have been large enough that this one particular subset doesn't so this wasn't an overnight thing though either Hmm? like you you think back to new orleans we were both delegates in 2018 in new orleans and the mises caucus was very active in new orleans they had their floors their signs their vote signals yeah and they only their candidate for chair only got about 20 percent. yeah they got they got run out out of the building that day um which is almost actually it's kind of funny um it's kind of funny if you if you look at like this convention that we just had so many people act like so many people are, are correctly Stating that like Mike Heiss lives rent free in Nick Sarwark's head. I remember in 2018, <laughs> all of us going around like, man, Nick Sarwark just lives rent free in Mike Heiss's head. <laughs> like, right, and like, and 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 Heiss just sort of went out and focused on the internal politics. And but there's also I don't I don't know like it's it's one of these things where like yes, it's cool that there are caucuses. At the same time, it's like. Uh, I don't know how much I appreciate human beings spending that much energy on the internal politics of the party. Um, like at, once we're done with this podcast, I plan on not spending time on the internal politics of this party for a long time. Um, well, no, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite things I've ever seen a member of the Libertarian National Committee do was when Star Child, who anybody who's been involved in the Libertarian Party at any kind of more in depth level or has been to a national convention knows Star Child as the crazy guy wearing a dress at the microphone or some kind of costume or maybe nothing at all if you're opposite Comic Con in Orlando. Um, but when he got himself elected to the LNC and whether or not that's an embarrassment to the party. When asked to fill out his conflict of interest statement, he listed the liberty movement as his conflict of interest because he said his highest allegiance was to the cause of liberty, not to the Libertarian Party. And if anything in the internal politics of the Libertarian Party distracted from the cause of liberty, he would choose the fight for liberty over the party. Okay, yes. And I, I am very worried about that sentiment myself. I think, I think it's very easy to get caught up in 
um, the internal politics of the party. And there's a part of me where at the end of it, I was like, I don't dislike the Mises caucus, but I was like, well, maybe I should join one of these other factions specifically like for myself looking at the radicals and saying like, well, maybe it's, maybe it's time that I join this organization and help them grow a little bit. But then another part of me is like, man, I'm talking to Ken Molman about what he wants to do back in Kentucky. Like I'm right across the river in Ohio. I know the things I want to do in Ohio. It's like, man, winning as a libertarian is, is really hard. And it'll just mean like politics and things like that. Like to focus on, on the things that you got to do to like convince people to come around on stuff. Like sometimes even choosing, winning is not choosing enough. to spend my time, choosing to spend my time on the internal, like that excessive amount of time on the internal politics sounds like a waste of my time when I could be spending my time fighting in the actual movement. So um, sometimes winning isn't even enough. I mean, if anybody's paid attention to, like outside LP politics in the grander scale, there was a libertarian candidate who ran for mayor last year who won her election. And then the state refused to swear her in, refused to seat her, and then pulled up an old technicality, took her to court and threw out the election and said she couldn't be mayor. Uh, mm -hmm. And they just decided that yesterday in court. You, sh you should have her on your show. Next week. What she has to say is far more interesting than anything you and I will say today. Right. Um, so uh, for those of you tuning in, make sure you check back next week when Kate Crosby's coming on to talk about the insanity of the state of Pennsylvania deciding after the election that the people chose wrong. So it's an absolute absurd. And it just goes to highlight what we're actually up against. And democracy is opposing democracy. Yeah. People, people are like, Oh, but it's a fair election and you guys get only 3%. It's like, no, none of these are fair elections. Like yeah. none of what happens when we do win. fair elections. <laughs> like um, the rules are literally written by the other two teams. So it is now, but like the internal politics do matter because they determine the kind of attitude and direction with which the Libertarian Party is going to enter that electoral fray. And unfortunately, whether or not we like it as people who recognize the Liberty Movement as a higher calling, the Libertarian Party really does lead the perception of the Liberty Movement at large with normal everyday people. Um, it's not the Liberty Republicans, unless the ones who have made real big names for themselves, like Justin Amash had or Thomas Massey or Rand Paul. But when people think libertarian, they think of that naked guy dancing on stage, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld, Joe Jorgensen's Black Lives Matter tweet. This is what people bring up when right. you say libertarian to them. It's mostly libertarian party blunders. So like the internal politics do matter to those of us who care about the greater liberty movement because <laughs> the population at large when we're being embarrassed. And I think almost, I, we've recapped it before, but going into this convention, Actually, I mean, that, that was, that's one of the things, okay, if I can interject real quick. Yeah. One of the things that I want the most from the LNC, the only two things that I ever want from the LNC, everything extra is gravy. I want you to keep the lights on and I want you to not be an embarrassment. Those are the two <laughs> things. Those are my two primary things I am looking for when it comes to voting in a new LNC. Make sure the lawsuits get filed and the bills get paid. Right. And we will see if the Mises Caucus can do that. I'm not saying they can't. I'm not saying that they won't. I think that they are very likely capable of doing these things. Yeah. And I, I have, I have, if I, I have a ton of faith in Angela them. McCardle. I have a ton of faith in the very top of the LNC. Yeah, well, we're, it, that's the problem is the LNC and the Libertarian Party is not a bottom, down, a top-down organization. Nope. So the faith in having the top, faith in the leadership isn't always enough and isn't necessarily enough. And it's not whether or not you have faith. Like, I, It's not faith. I do have optimism that they will get it done, that the energy they're bringing to the table is enough to get it done, at least in the short term and the interim. interim what I'm concerned about is sustainability. Um, we've seen this as the culmination of a six-year fight. Three conventions over six years yes. from the time the Mises Caucus first came into a convention organized to finally taking control. That is... A six-year effort is nothing to balk at. Taking over a national membership-based organization in six years is no small task and no small feat, even if it is the Libertarian Party, not the Republican or the Democratic Party. It's still a massive organizational undertaking to do something like that that a lot, I think a lot of people are disregarding the actual complexity and difficulty of doing that. As someone who's been out there trying to recruit the <coughs> party, I mean... Back when you lived in New Hampshire, when we had the Mises Caucus takeover here in New Hampshire, 
the the majority of the people that showed up to vote as Mises Caucus delegates were people that me and you had spent several years trying to convince to join the party and yeah, would. Yeah, that was genuinely frustrating. Like I don't know what happened. <laughs> they're like they're like, I don't know. Someone different asked me to join. I'm like, I wasn't good enough for you, fucker. Yeah. Like, but um, and, and so it's not like people weren't trying to recruit these people. It's it was finding the right message to get actual libertarians involved that mattered. Yeah. Um, and in 2018, when the Mises Caucus walked out of that convention with 20%, so to speak, and kind of shame on their faces and an embarrassment to what they thought they were going to do in New Orleans, it was Nick Sarwark's words that like, I think will haunt him for the rest of his life. Which words? The Libertarian Party belongs to the people who oh, showed up and you failed show to up. show up. Yeah, because they keep repeating that, and it's true. <laughs> Right. But they took it to heart. And so like you've since like you've left New Hampshire. We have issues with that. People are still mad about that. You've moved back to Ohio. Dude, I I specifically like when I saw Dennis, he was the first person from New Hampshire I saw in um uh in in Reno. And he dude, it was cool. It was fun seeing him. He was very nice. And then he started making jokes, man. And it was like, I don't know. Which of these are serious and which of these are real? And some of them are like hurtful about like how could you leave us in New Hampshire? Like, like this, that, and the other. It's like, you know, Denny called me a larper. Um, <laughs> Denny calls everybody a larper, but who's not in New Hampshire or just everybody? <laughs> right, who's not in New Hampshire? Uh, no, the big, but like, I feel like you must have gone into convention with a completely different expectation understanding or anything like that from what anyone in my delegation here in new hampshire would have because my delegation in new hampshire with 13 delegates and 20 alternates who were all entirely on the same page oh yeah exactly what we're going in um everybody was ready to go your delegation in ohio ended up seating out-of-state delegates some of whom were rejected from new hampshire who we didn't yeah. want to be delegates for us. So, like, you guys had a mixed bag. It wasn't a completely Mises oh, delegation. Ohio, like, Ohio, I think, uh, has a lot of strong suits to the way its delegation is picked and a couple weak points to the way its delegation is pe- picked. Um, I think every single person in Ohio who was on our delegation, who I have spoken to, mm-hmm. every single person from Ohio, period, who I have spoken to, likes the general concept of the way Ohio's delegation is picked. I don't know if any of the other 49 states do this. Ohio is the only state that I know of that does this. We do not elect our delegates. Um, uh, We do not elect our delegates in Ohio. Um, We have a list in our bylaws and it just goes top to bottom what the hierarchy is. And it starts with our state chair and it goes down to like just basic member in the party. And it's like anyone who applies gets it in this priority and we go until we're done. Um, and so it literally is if you get a seat, if you put in work, um, and I think everybody likes that. Um, if, if you're, if no. you, you, you get out what you put in and the problem is, is I, I think, uh, we need to, I, I think come next convention, we will be either throwing <laughs> out of state individuals significantly further down that list or we may be getting rid of the ability to seat alternates from out of state or maybe just out of the region. Um, region three is Ohio, um, Michigan, Kentucky, and Indiana. Um, we all like each other quite a bit. Um, Missouri tried to join this time around and we're told no. Or no, Minnesota. Yeah. And it was like, well, no, we don't we don't want anybody else. <laughs> like um <laughs> Remember the USS Liberty deliberately sunk by Israel and uh thanks Reed. Reed will never Reed will never forget the devastation the Israeli government has wreaked upon the American taxpayer. I will never forgive them either. Well, I feel like they've wreaked a lot more than just that. I feel like they've taken like indirectly the amount of foreign aid given to um the Israeli government. But it's just uh, but moving on, so I mean, like Ohio, so Ohio's delegation ends up being actually one of the more diverse delegations. Oh yeah, uh, where so like you had a Mises Caucus contingent, you had a vehement. The contingents did not break themselves apart and like sit separate from each other. That sat next to fuck in, like yeah. um, it was very interesting. Um, I had a cordial conversation with Nick Sarwark a couple of different times, talking to him about votes, which was weird because I've not spoken to him in friendly terms in about eighteen months prior to this. 
Um, I mean, I we're not on good terms. Like we didn't leave on good terms, but it was it was interesting. Yeah. So, what? Where? Like, was there any kind of tension within your delegation, or was there any attempts at whipping the delegation one way or another? Was there uh, delegation campaigning the before convention? The biggest contention that occurred in our delegation was when the attempt to kick Witten Billu out as chair of the convention occurred. That was the most heated moment uh, in our because uh, because most of us, most everyone in our delegation who's been around for more than a couple of years, or even even who's been around just a little bit of time, knows Ken Nolman. And <laughs> when Ken got up and, and said his thing, and unfortunately, I missed Ken's speech where he said, "I don't want to do this." I was out in, out in the hall taking a work call, and like had to step right back in, and I missed it. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm told. Uh, but but like I come back in, and it's 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 it's. it's a couple of our delegates are like almost in tears as they're looking at some of our other delegates still voting, keep Whitney out. And it was kind of like towards the end of it. Like I, I think maybe one or two of our delegation voted was, was voting to kick Whitney off because it was like so many of our, of our people like Ken and don't want right. to piss off Ken and, and screw over Ken. Um, Here, here's the thing. And here's where I'll come in and defend that vote. Even though I think it was a dumb motion. I think, Again, someone who likes Ken a lot is considers Ken a friend, and had seen Ken's number of posts on social media saying, "I don't want this. It's a bad idea. Don't do this." Like, don't. That was one of the most surprising things about about the whole coordination of the Mises Caucus, and they took over everything, right? Like, they did a very good job. But one of the biggest miscues they had was thinking that Ken Mullen wanted to do that. Here's uh, the thing. I don't. I am not sure whether it was a lie, mis, misdirection, mislead from Mises Cox's leadership to its members. If I were to bet, it's and this is just based on bet me me knowing the players on both sides, poorly. I think, I think the leadership of the Mises Caucus and the floor leadership and the floor whips did not know how many delegates they had did not know what their percentage was and knew that that was the only motion in order at that time of convention where they would be able to get a count of the delegates and how yeah. they felt. Like, that's how I would have played it. Because you you do something very controversial that you know everyone on your side will line up for, and you get to, you get to read the room right there and then. And that was the thing. Those, was, I saw a lot of Mises Caucus people convinced to not vote for that. Sure, and they still had seventy percent. They still had well, like sixty-three percent. Sure, on that which book. at that point, anybody like reading the room in the YouTube chat. So I wasn't there. Oh yeah, I was watching on YouTube. Every, everyone was like, "Oh yeah, the Mises Caucus is about to take everything." In this, in this. It's like okay, right. the, and, and that was that was <laughs> like the YouTube chat for anybody watching YouTube live um, went from a big argument back and forth between contingents to. All of a sudden, oh well, I guess the Mises Caucus is taking the party, and everyone knew in that moment, yeah, that the Mises Caucus had the uh, numbers to do what they wanted. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, oh. which is fine, whatever. Like again, I I told a bunch of people like, okay, I, I mean, one of the things I should have let off here is like, it makes very little difference to me who's in charge of the party. Like, like I'm I'm tied into my county party more than anything else. Um, Which I think more people need to do and more people should do is get involved in their county party and their state parties, but they don't. Mm -hmm. Like there, There's actually a whole contingent of in the national sustaining membership logs of people who won't even tell national where what state they live in. Uh, hang on. There, there is a uh, there is a comment here. Uh, I'm sailing away where it's it's that'd be from Ryan Hebert of the New Hampshire delegation. Who, OK, he. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, quick aside. Um, at both the Mises Caucus and LP Texas had karaoke nights at convention. And by the way, for anybody who's watching this, who's never been to a convention or went to a convention and missed karaoke nights, both nights, especially the LP Texas one, uh, those are the best nights at convention. And the Mises Caucus one was fun. It was like a standard normal karaoke party that you would see at a bar, but the LP Texas one, people who with actual, like incredible talent show up. Um, I did sticks come sail away. And so that is that is what Ryan is referencing. Um, Great reference. I remember some of my fondest memories of conventions have been Texas uh, karaoke parties, and 
Um, for those, there's been some awkward moments with Daryl Perry forgetting the words to the song and just going rogue, and <laughs> Brandon oh, Finney man. can yeah. actually sing doing <laughs> the Libertarian Party of Texas is. Uh, in fact, all the parties and after parties at convention are the best parts of convention. Oh yeah, when the business is done and the the dumb and idiotic business is done. Now, after the chair vote, I'm not going to lie, I tuned the hell out. Yeah, no, and I stopped paying attention because I had to go petition to get ballot access here in New Hampshire uh, when I was done with work that day. No, that's so, correct. That's yeah, correct. You so... did actual activism. Let me be 100 percent clear: <laughs> zero activism occurred in Reno outside of I think the sober caucus collecting money and Narcan stuff for uh, some like local organization in Reno. Um, The sober caucus did actual activism and the rest of us did. How, but like, what was the progression of things? The next time I tuned in was for the abortion vote, I believe. Uh, Okay. Um, So there was a ton of time wasting. There was a ton of time wasting. And that's what I've heard. I've heard, I've heard it was the most dilatory convention since, and mind you, I, I, I remember the, the worst and most dilatory thing I ever remember experiencing myself at a libertarian convention was in 2018 when I was nominated to give a speech on behalf of none of the above during the chair race when Josh Smith was running against Nick Sarwark and I spoke against both of them. Yeah. We had a 40-minute debate on we whether did. or not I'd be allowed to speak for five honestly, minutes. Honestly, Nick coming to the microphone to speak in favor of letting Noda speak, I think is right. what won him i mean he i think he was gonna win anyway but i think is what won it for him on that first ballot like i think he won a lot of votes by doing that um yeah so no we're talking way more dilatory than that like people um we're we're voting on the last thing which i want to say was judicial committee right and it's like it's coming down to the wire of um (laughs) um it's coming down to the wire of, of this three o'clock hard deadline that we're told we have. Um, and it's like, okay, are we going to get the votes in for JC? And it's like, oh, okay, a shit ton of people in different states, I want to say Virginia was the biggest offender, start writing in like a hundred. Like, I think Virginia had a hundred different write-ins. And so this just creates time where the tellers are having to count these things up because we can't proceed to business until all of these votes are into the tellers from the states. So the state of Virginia, I think, took like an hour and a half just to count up JC votes. And that was the thing is I was telling people like, guys, I don't know even if people weren't trying to waste time that we're going to make this three o'clock deadline. And then all of a sudden Ken gets on the mic and is like, all right, we've been informed that we're allowed to pay for the room by the minute. It's like, well, we don't have money, Ken. Um, I'm saying, and the Mises guy is like screaming, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, can we, can the first thing the Mises caucus do not be bankrupt the party? Um, but then it turns out we're just allowed to stay for the rest of the day. Like we're, we're just allowed to stay, but AV has got to tear down. <laughs> so it's like, we have the rest of convention while AV is tearing down around us. The last 20 minutes of convention are Ken moment at a bullhorn. And there's two other bullhorns that are now taking the place of the microphones. It was, it was, um, that sounds awful. Oh, it was horrible. Um, to actually end convention, Ken is on the bullhorn talking like, these are our options. These are our options. I sprint up to him and I yell at a motion to adjourn, Ken. And I don't think Karen got down that it was me that made the motion to adjourn, but he heard my motion and that's how we got out of there. Um, um, because, well, so, so like to even save time, we suspended the rules to just do platform up and down votes. Um, which looking which I at saw there was a lot of controversy on after the fact, but actually after the fact the dur- changes during, I don't, well, that was the thing is I don't think anybody can really recognize any of these major. Um, okay. So, we ended up getting to the abortion vote, um, which the abortion vote is one that I have voted to take out twice. And this time around, I actually voted to keep it. I want to be clear to anybody listening who is MC. Like, I don't really care that you took it out. I think it's one way or the other. It's fine. Um, I chose, I said, I'm going to try to keep it this time around because I actually think it sets a very bad narrative while Roe v. Wade is in the news. um, And two years from now, I'll vote to get rid of it again. But whatever, it's gone. It's not that big of a deal. I don't think it's that big of a deal one way or another, whether we have that plank or not. I think the correct libertarian position is roughly what we already had in there. And I I don't want to gatekeep over it. 
Yeah, well, I think that's <laughs> the problem is the the plank as written was a roughly plank, and it was it was it was a plank. weak pro-choice plank, is what it was. Right, where it should have been left to abstention. It, like it, it was a plank that tried to say nothing, but in the process of it, saying nothing, said we're pro-choice. It's just like the government has no place in it, which is kind of my position on everything. If if we just replace the entire platform with the government has no place in any of these decisions, that would be that's my platform. Um, which is fine. And that's the statement of principles. And that's all you really need. The Honestly, if we got rid of the entire platform, I would not be opposed to it. So the controversy that occurs after that I didn't catch when we were going through, because there was all of a sudden there's a secession plank, a, a self like a determination for lands plank. And, and like, we want to be able to allow these places to secede. And of course we do. Um, but after when I'm talking to several different people, including Mises caucus members, that I spoke to after convention said to me, man, I don't know how I feel about that plank going in. And it's not that I don't believe secession's a right or that uh, localities leaving is a right or whatever. It's, I don't necessarily like that word secession. The platform is a hammer and it can be used by our enemy. And primarily one of its biggest uses is by our enemies to hammer us to crap. And secession carries with it this massive weight. And I don't even know that I agree with all these people, but I all of a sudden realized like, oh, it may have been a very serious problem that we did up and down votes on these things without having conversations because there are plenty of other words that we could have picked to put in there. Sure. And if I'm going back and thinking about like we replaced the bigotry terminology with something that essentially means the same thing, but it doesn't have the word bigotry. I think secession can be seen very similarly to that because, because right. The MC took, took that term bigotry out Um so that bigotry can't primarily, from what I was told from the MC folks who I talked to um, in Ohio who wanted to get rid of it, it was primarily because they don't want that bigotry term to be used as a hammer against us. And so now the MC has gone in, and not just the MC, like this was very popularly voted for. Now we've put the secession terminology in for that a bunch of people now fear can be used as a hammer. So. so I supported the removing the bigotry as irrational and repugnant language because of how it affected that plank and that plank is <laughs> Dennis Platt, blame Virginia. Uh, yeah, Dennis. always there's always someone else to blame, Dennis, and we can blame <laughs> them all day. Uh, but that particular plank that can, contained the word bigotry as irrational and repugnant had more to the plank after that. It had another sentence at the end of the plank that said individuals and private businesses were afraid to discriminate. So yeah. that was my issue with it is you can't on one hand condemn it. And then on the other hand, say they're allowed to do it because that yeah. plank inherently right. It recognizes that an individual has a right to be a bigot. And our issue should be with the government, not with the individual. You do have a right to be a bigot. I do not want you on my campaign or my friend if you are a bigot <laughs> like, sure but our platform is not about who's on our campaign or that's who's our friends point. our platform is about what we believe the role of government and society should be that's totally agree to I'm, I'm in agreement with you i'm not so to me that's why it was i think i abstain from that I, because i no i yeah. voted i voted in favor of the change um i voted in favor of the change primarily because i thought if we didn't make the change we were going to lose the plank and i do really like the plank yeah. So now, as far as like the secession plank, and I, I I hear that concern about it being used against our candidates, but you've been out petitioning with me a number of times. You've been out campaigning with me with other people by yourself. When has a normal voter you've talked to engage with a door knocking <laughs> petitioning ever brought up our platform? Uh, never, never, never. Once. And when people talk about talk about well, what is libertarian? I never cite the platform outside of when we're outside of when they ask specifically about abortion because I don't want to talk about it. I just tell them look at the platform. And now I can't yeah. do that. Um, um, because typically, like when we talk to voters and they ask, well, what is a libertarian? I actually give them kind of my own definition that I've come up with on my own. And the more I've given it, the more I've realized I actually prefer it to like anything Locke or Mises or anybody else has ever written like I um for for anybody who doesn't know what I give and I've talked about this a lot on Twitter I've talked about this I think before on Justin's podcast um the definition I give is, is I tell people that it is a a system of ethics that holds consent as its highest principle and then it's just an application of that to the law um and then you know within that there's a lot of nuance around like self-ownership and then property coming from that I understand that 
that what I'm saying is probably a little bit more broad um, than I think most libertarians would give, but I think it works really well if you then also agree with self-ownership. So, but so coming out of this platform debate, so realistically, the only things that changed at the convention were a platform that nobody reads and nobody pays attention to, a platform right. that nobody outside of our inner circle even knows exists or can use for us or against oh, us. Stephen Kinsella on the bottom of your thing there, he got elected to JC, or did he not? I don't yeah, know. I, I voted for him to go to JC. I don't remember who actually. Voted. I believe he is on the JC now. Um, Stephen Kinsella, uh, who, you know, great views on intellectual property. We can discuss other views at another time. He, is, <laughs> he has argued with me on the Facebook many a time, but I did vote for him. Um, so we elected a uh, new leadership for a party that's never done anything before with very little expectation of them to do anything moving forward to clear a low bar. Like, is this outcome, is the Mises caucus takeover of the Libertarian Party actually meaningful in Ooh. any way Ooh. to a Libertarian? Again, what I do in Ohio is not changed at all. Right. What I do in Hamilton County is not changed at all. What I said to many, many people there, uh, do not confuse Reno with activism. Do not confuse convention with activism. Um, we have maybe set some things up to be more secure or less secure. We have maybe set some things up to make recruiting at a national level a little easier. But what happens in your state is still up to you. And honestly, the success of this current LNC is still primarily up to y'all listening at home and how you work. Because, um, uh, you know. When Nick says, oh, I want to be the least important member of, of the Libertarian <laughs> Party, he wasn't exactly correct, but I sort of like the sentiment, and I think the yeah. sentiment is not as far off as many people want I to. wish the president was the least significant, least important person in the United States, but it's not the case. Right. Um, um, yeah, no, it, it's, it's how people react to Angela and her friends being uh, the well, so I think this right this now is more important than what they do, I think. This touches almost on uh, Robert's question here, is whether or not it's meaningful depends on whether or not the Mises caucus stands for and will they run the party like adults. I think you just got ahead of it. it. It might matter less on what they stand for and what they do as opposed to how people react to what okay, they do. Okay, so I'm still actually... Okay, let, let's let's break this down. Okay, the Mises caucus is still kind of an enigma to me because it's different depending on every <laughs> single Mises caucus member I talk to. Um, like, okay... Going on on Twitter today uh, is a whole bunch of people talking about um, that that uh, that drag show that there's a video of some children at, right? And Todd Hagopian came out and was like, "Look, I find the drag show off-putting, but I also find Sunday school off-putting." And someone from the Mises Caucus comments underneath of like, "Well, this is why he's not really part of the reset, or this, that, and the other." Um, and I'm like, okay, but he was literally like your endorsed guy and you guys tell us you don't want to engage in culture wars and you telling me that a guy can't give his negative opinion of Sunday school, that's you engaging in culture war. But then there's other Mises caucus members who are like, who are like, uh, you know, oh, this is totally fine. What Todd Gobian saying, but it's, it's, it's confusing to me because the first person was very clear that this is against what the Mises caucus stands for, what Todd Gopian is saying. And I'm like, I don't know that that's true but i don't know that it's not true because like on one hand they say oh we don't want to engage in culture war and then on the other hand i see their members engage in culture war and it's so robert does ask I'm what, what what actually unites the mises caucus and i think the answer here that most mises caucus members will give you and the ones here in new hampshire will give you a different answer it's wild as most Mises Caucus members, to my experience, say what unites them is an understanding of Austrian economics as the preeminent force of liberty in our lifetime and the need to make that economic principle first and foremost in our political campaigning. But then when I ask then them, that would mean Justin Ross would be the best, would be the, the biggest member, sure. wouldn't it? Correct. And most of them can't explain Austrian economics when, when asked for it. And my own opinions on Austrian economics is that it actually boils down to if you just predict a market crash often and uh, early enough, eventually you'll be right. <laughs> um, I mean, kind of. But, but no, the reality Austria is like 
what I seen a lot of Mises Caucus members at the lower echelon, um, the ones here in New Hampshire, the ones in Massachusetts that I've gotten to know <coughs> a lot, the ones in Maine who are busy trying to run for office and get legislation passed, is they don't care about ideology. They don't care uh, about which economic school you're preaching, as long as it's not Marxism or socialism or Chicago school. Like they mm-hmm. don't care as long as you're doing the work and actually fighting for liberty. And that's the difference because what yeah. unites them is what they saw in the old guard, what they saw in the old leadership, what they saw in the party under Nick Sarwark and Joe Benjamin was a group of people who did not do the oh. work and did not uh, yeah. do that. Dennis Pratt, who's in chat and comments, one of our more regular watchers and listeners on the Free State Project show I help host, commented to me once that before he joined the Libertarian Party with the Mises Caucus, he thought the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire was just me and you because nobody else in the party ever did anything. Honestly, yeah, I think he's communicated something very close to that to me as well. Um, because I mean, well, that was the thing is, is, and I've I think I've mentioned this speech twice on your show before. We'll say it yeah. again. The thing in, in 2020, um, when I did my secretary run and I said, there's an epidemic of people in this party who want titles and don't want to do work. Like that was real. I meant it. I meant every word of that. There's a bunch of those people. And I don't necessarily think that's the biggest problem with Nick Sarwark or Joe Bishop Henchman. I think that there's a, a base level of corruption, but I also don't think there's, but I also think there's a lot of their friends who that applies to. Um, sure, and uh, like I will in no way say the Mises Caucus is exempt from that. I mean, oh, oh, no, no, no. If you want names, we could name names, but I'm not going to do that. Like, every um, like that, that's that's pervasive in every group. The, and here's the thing: the Mises Caucus took hold in such a jarring and decisive manner that it's really only a matter of time till there's a problem with someone in the Mises Caucus in leadership. Like it's only a matter of time till one of their LNC members has a difference of opinion and it rips apart the whole. Well, that's one of the neat things about I think about not having Eric winning the vice chair because I think Eric would have been one of the first ones to break with the MC. Um, as far but, as the members who but are. Eric also ran with Mises Caucus endorsement as a non-Mises Caucus member with different views than the Mises Caucus, who could have been the lightning rod on the LNC for a difference of opinion, where people could have lined up behind him to back a difference of opinion or any dispute on the LNC to like so things would get discussed. Whereas now with Josh, and I like Josh. Josh is a friend of mine. Josh we, is a friend of mine. And podcast together. But with Josh and Angela being so universally on the same page, there is only one downstream leadership on the LNC and it's get in line or get off the boat. Well yeah. Um I don't know. What do you think about Dennis's last comment here? Uh well United States Mises Caucus is that we push for liberty, not politics. Uh, loser brigade is focused on playing politics, not liberty. Gigantic difference. I'm going to say that is contained to New Hampshire because what the Mises caucus as a whole did, the national organization is politics, politics. focused exclusively on politics rather mm -hmm. than pushing liberty. I I also think the people who are talking about Todd Hagopian with this whole, uh, uh, culture war drag show thing i think this is politics i don't think it's focusing on liberty in fact i think it's distracting from the cause of liberty and no i think dennis may be absolutely correct about new hampshire specifically but no like i i see mises caucus members all over the place who engage in politics um, right in politicking and internal politics and internal culture bullshit um i, I think <sighs> yeah i don't know um it's, 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 I think the, I think it's weird. They're, they're less in agreement with, with each other on Twitter than they are in the voting hall. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and we've seen that and we've seen it in person in conventions where, um, 
I'll talk to Mises caucus members who are on different pages of things, but then they get a text message on how to vote. That's good politics. It's good organizational and group management. It's good. It's their whips doing their job and then doing oh, their yeah. job exceptionally by keeping people in line with what the votes are supposed to be in a predetermined manner. That's how conventions go. That's how conventions and big parties go. I really That's wish we could talk about something other than Mises caucus, but you brought me on to talk about convention. Yeah. Entire convention and, and like, well, I, I think it's a big question and that leads into where do we go from here? And like, because, Work the big problem, in my opinion, of the clean sweep the Mises caucus took of the National Committee is, while it's, it wasn't a clean sweep where 100% turnover, it was still about 75% turnover. There were a few people who retained seats on the LNC from the previous board, uh, including uh, Rich Bowen, Josh Smith, Karen Ann Harlos, Dustin Nana, uh, and Pat Ford, and they bring a lot of experience with them. Dustin, there was a, Dustin there was, was one of my few winning votes. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of institutional knowledge lost. Yeah. And not just lost in the leadership voted out, but lost in the activists walking away because of their conceptions and beliefs There's, of what the Mises caucus so is. That's one of the biggest things is every time I'm seeing someone walking away on Twitter, luckily I'm not seeing a lot of people saying like, oh, good riddance and piss off and whatever else. But I'm leaving comments of encouragement like, hey, lights on whenever you decide to come back, man. Because like a lot of these people who are walking away, I think are people who are disillusioned for one reason or another. I don't want to get in everybody's head. Yep. Um, but a lot of them are solid activists and exceedingly principled human beings. And they're, they're not all just Joe Bishop Henchman and people who believe, who agree with what Joe Bishop Henchman did. Um, one of the ones that pains me the most is actually Nick Sarwar, because for all of our disagreements and personal disagreements and personal yeah. disputes, he's an incredibly competent, qualified I, individual. I remember 2000. I worked on his campaign in Phoenix for about, oh, I was down there for work for about a week, and I, I spent a day or two, I think just a day, on his campaign. And it was like, this is a well oiled machine. <laughs> I want this knowledge everywhere. Like, this dude gets it, and now he doesn't. I don't know what happened. Well, he still knows what he's doing from organizational management, from running a campaign, from fundraising, and doing the things that we lack institutional knowledge within the Libertarian Party. The problem about. is, is that he's can't is that he's organizing money to run candidates against our candidates. Right. Well, then that's the problem. That three to four million dollars he was spending, he he was raising wasn't being spent in New Hampshire to run candidates against your candidates, and was instead being spent in. Arkansas. Ohio, because we don't have ballot access, and we're lar and this is largely a wash uh, year for us. Twenty twenty two is largely a wash year for us at a yeah. state level. Um, if you can spend that money in, in here, Arkansas, helping Harrington get elected, or, or Arkansas, or, or New Oklahoma. York, helping Larry Sharp get on the ballot. Like, yeah. there's great uses there's for that money. Bunch of uses for it, and not and, trying and to sabotage. And he chooses to use it in 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 New Hampshire, where it's potentially going to cost you guys ballot access going yeah. forward. Now, uh, Latina Libertarian posts on uh, YouTube, I wish folks would talk to Mises Caucus members and not assume we're bigots and Republicans. This is a hilarious story, Latina Libertarian, because once upon a time, me and AJ here decided we were going to go talk to the Mises Caucus members instead of assuming that what we were being told about them was true. And we made really good friends with a lot of them. Um, and next thing you know, we were labeled bigots and racists for <laughs> not condemning them and for helping them take over the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire. Yeah, which all we did was give them advice to learn a little bit of Robert's rules. That was literally, literally it. I, I do. Nick blamed me again when we went to convention. I talked to him yeah. for a short period of time, and he was like, "You helped the Mises Crockers take over in New Hampshire." I was like, "I explained a couple things about parliamentary procedure, like all that would have been different." is that you would have been there another few hours had I not done that. Like, that's all that would have been different. Yeah. Um. But, no, I, I agree with her point entirely. <laughs> to me, one of the biggest issues that we're seeing with the split in the Libertarian Party right now between the Old Guard and the Mises Caucus, I, I don't have a good name for the Old Guard other than the Old Guard because they're not the Pragmatic Caucus. Because uh, it's not the pragmatic. pragmatic. It's not even the cathedral. It's radicals. It's prags. It's cathedrals. It's yeah. audacious folk. It's a, a wide-sweeping range of them. It's just the Old Guard, people who are losing their status as big fish in small ponds. It's, it's mostly prags. Yeah. Um, is collectivism on both sides. Yeah. 
the loser brigade stuff. Anybody who doesn't join us, I hate that terminology. Brigade. Can I say that? Like, I think if you're if you're if you're non if you're like unironically using that terminology, it's about as cringe as unironically using the term woke. Like, it's cringe. Pat Ford on Facebook says the caucus of failure. Caucus of like, failure. Like that weird. All right, we can you're go. Talking about Prague still. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I think there is a big issue of collectivism on both sides of this. Oh split, my god! Yes, members of the Mises Caucus start to collectivize anybody who's not all aboard with them as the loser brigade, and members yeah. of the Caucus of Failure. I'm I'm running with that one, Pat. It's caucus of Failure is a good one. Yeah, Caucus of Failure is a good one. Collectivize anybody who's even friendly with the Mises Caucus as racist and alt right sympathizing. Some like, Facebook user says hi, AJ, but I can't see who it is. That is Cat. Um, she hasn't, so she's commenting in the group, not on the page, so we can't see her comment. Everybody, uh, that's Cat saying hi, AJ. Um, I'll be up in August. Latina agrees. She hates the word loser brigade. It's all annoying. It's all annoying. It's all collectivism, and that's the problem. <laughs> It's collectivism, yeah. collectivism, which the Mises caucus at least is supposed to oppose because it's a big part of the culture war, which is which is part of why I've never been. I like I was asked to join the Mises caucus at one point in time. I was like, yeah, maybe. But I don't I've been asked to join the radical caucus several <laughs> times. Like, eh. Now, what's kept yeah. you from joining the radical caucus? Because you're one of the few people who is a true died in the wool radical libertarian. I really, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's I'm just not a joiner. I don't know. <laughs> Which that's is a very radical. Say, that's a very radical like, caucus thing to say. The the radicals are who I get along with though the most when it comes to like just talking about the internal politics of it, um, or talking about the no way radicals or radical caucus members. I think there's a lot of crossover. Um, well, depends. Um, because like I think the radicals also represent what is a fairly socially diverse group of people more so than yep. the other caucuses. But it's also the they're they're the best at being the like we're gonna leave everybody alone. Like when it comes to the like when it comes to the that draft, makes them really ineffective at the internal politics. It does. They're the least effective at the internal politics. But I think they're the they're the the I think that's where you find most of the hardline libertarian takes, like most of the Dennis's here will we'll use his term most of the thinnest libertarianism that you will see comes from the radical caucus yeah um, in another world dennis would be in the radical caucus i, I think that's entirely correct dennis 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 screams rad to me um very uh, much uh but in another world we wouldn't call it the mises caucus we'd call it the rothbard caucus because or of, yeah the rothbard caucus no rothbard than they do mises um in well, another world in another world the conservatarian tingent of the Mises caucus never would have joined the Mises caucus because they would have known Mises is open borders. Cause he's a, Oh my gosh, the number of Mises caucus members who are on Twitter who are, again, this is, they're not as, they're not as monolithic as like, there, there's been a number of, of Mises caucus members who are like, we're going to stop with these open border libertarians. I'm like, have you, have you read Mises? Like he's got some of the most open bordered, like radical takes. So here, here's something I want your perspective on. As someone who was in the room, I did not, I was not able to catch this on YouTube. I was uh, actually at work at the time. Justin Amash's keynote speech. I okay, I loved it, but I was also slightly biased because remember how I said we Ohio was very mixed in; it was not split up at right. all by the caucuses. I was sitting next to a young Meacock, and I will not say his name for the sake of possible embarrassment. Um, although I think he would, I think he's going to look back on this and appreciate it in a few years. Um, Amash is giving, is giving, for those of you who didn't see it, Amash gave a speech with a bunch of like very, what libertarians would find controversial statements and like, what do you guys think of this? What do you guys think of this one? And then we got to the end of it. He's like, all of these came from Mises's liberalism. Um, and he got to a quote and he's listing all these quotes and he gets to one where he's like, um, liberalism or liberal libertarianism requires us to be cosmopolitans. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that these are all Mises quotes. And the kid next to me, who's, who's a younger Mises caucus member, he's like 19, is like, nah, Mises would never say something like that. And Amash lists a few more of them. And he says one that's along the lines of like, you're allowed to live wherever you want. And I was like, oh, these are definitely Mises caucus quotes. <laughs> I recognize that one. And he's like, and that same kid like slams the table and goes, no, property rights. <laughs> And at this point in time, I'm just dying. Like, <laughs> this is the funniest no. thing in the world to me. Because, like, I, I have figured out what Amash is doing by this point in time in the speech. I'm like, I get exactly what he's doing. I don't know what his point's going to be, but I know for a fact these are all Mises quotes, and some of them are not very flattering to him. 
<laughs> and <laughs> no, but the same is you could do that with an, you if you wanted to paste you know take out of context quotes from uh, Rothbard, you can embarrass him. Yeah. If you want to take out of context quotes of Nick Sarwark, he's easy to embarrass. If oh you my take god! Out of context quotes of Joe Bishop Henchman, you can make him look like an amazing libertarian. Because Nick, like, well, Nick used to be a rad for sure. Yeah, Nick, before- Nick. Nick has had some hardline, like legit. That's the thing. Nick is OG, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, is the well, what, at one point in party? time, OG as hell. Nick is the only person in the party, to my knowledge, who has successfully given a notice speech and successfully had a notice speech given against him. Um, like he's been there through it all. <laughs> I remember in 2016, uh, Nick Sarwark kind of like covertly subverting the Weld campaign and providing assistance to McAfee's team to try and get information on, out on Weld that might have cost him the nomination. Yeah, but then I remember in 2020, Nick voting every single round using his delegate vote to vote for Vermin Supreme for the nomination. I don't like, know. I don't think Vermin Supreme was necessarily the wrong vote. Well, I don't see how you could vote for Vermin Supreme and then say Jeremy Kaufman's an embarrassment. That's a, fair points. So, like, um, this is the hypocrisy and the growth of the individual we've seen, and. How but no, to, to, to be clear, it, it wasn't it wasn't funny to me when I was telling that story earlier. Like it wasn't yeah. funny to me because I'm like, oh, I need this kid to to like respect everything Misa says. It's just it was funny to me that like he didn't recognize that when I said these are all Mises quotes, the kid was like, There's no way Mises said these things. So I was like, oh. And, like that was hysterical to me. Um, um no. We're coming from there. What advice? Like, what is your outlook as someone? So you're, you're not a member of the Mises Caucus, but you're not opposed to the Mises Caucus. Right. You care more about doing the actual work that matters. So, from here, the one thing the Mises Caucus has been extraordinarily successful at that the Libertarian Party has failed at, utterly, uh, especially in the past six years, is recruiting new members and growing the ranks. How do we get those ranks into the streets with petitions? doing the jobs that need to be done, actually campaigning for liberty, pushing libertarian candidates up and down the ticket across the country to a point where it makes a difference. Because if the old guard is walking away with the experience and the money, something has to change. Something has to change as far as, okay. So, I mean, the optimist take in me is, is, is just, I'm going to go do work. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what advice, uh, to necessarily hand out to everybody because it's it's different in every place that you are right now, right? Like I'm in Cincinnati, which is a major city, and running for city council takes quite a bit. And there's really nothing lower to run for. So um I'm I'm not focusing on electoral politics myself in this city. Um there's several suburbs around here where people have asked for help and I'll go help those individuals um when they come to me and ask for help. Um, uh, I am focused myself on some legislative issues. I'm probably going to do some phone banking tomorrow for the anti-death penalty penalty people here in Ohio. Um, uh, oh, but the real optimist take is as soon as I get done with, as soon as convention was over, I walked up on stage, um, to go talk to Ken Mullen. Cause like, who's going to stop me from going up on stage when convention's over? Um, and, and I tell him like, all right, so what are we doing back in the 275 loop when you get home? And like, for the first time that I had seen it that whole weekend, like he smiles because <laughs> Ken is like, AJ, I am so done with national. So unbelievably done with national. And I saw someone who I believe may be about to get their second wind in like, true shit kicking activism in Ken Mullman. I'm excited to see what he does and I am excited to do anything he asks me to do um, for Kentucky or for Ohio. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at. Like what Ken Mullman being done with national is one of the things that concerns me when I talk about these institutional memories and institutional knowledge things because even before even with ken not on the lnc before he was on the lnc me and ken never served on the lnc together but the two Mm -hmm. terms i was on the lnc ken was in charge of the lnc's it committee he was a very very active 
control with the national party in much of the national's IT infrastructure, the CRM infrastructure, the campaign tools that are there for candidates today are there because of Ken and Ken is the one who knows how to deploy yeah. them and use them. And that's a loss of institutional leadership and institutional knowledge that I actually am worried about because it's one of the few tools national has to actually help the states and the candidates. All right. So yeah, no, that's, I don't have a response to that, but I will say I did do one big unity thing. Um, and I don't know if Reed's still on Reed mentioned it in the comments earlier. Um, I went around convention and I brought a bunch of copies of um, uh, a Magic the Gathering card, card Anarchist, and I got it signed by a bunch of different people. So that's the one that I got signed by Reed. <laughs> and that's Angela McCardle. And just to show that, like, we're not just going for people of one caucus or another or one faction or another, that's Chris Thrasher. He wasn't super big on signing the Anarchist card, but I was like, you don't have to be an Anarchist. <laughs> um, Dave Smith. Shit. I think this is Justin Amash. Kevin Shaw. <laughs> kind of diluting the anarchist label here a little bit. Kind of diluting, right? Dan Fishman. <laughs> really diluting the anarchist. What? Label Dan, is Dan not an anarchist? No, but as it's. I think it's a hilarious project. It's a fun project. I can't wait to see your full binder when you decide we're, to fill it up. We're, we're Rick Stewart. He's running for uh, governor of Iowa. I met him on the train on the way out there. I took the Amtrak out there, by the way. Ken Woman. <laughs> Kevin Hale. He's running for uh, U.S. Congress down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, great got, slogan. Give Congress hail. Give Congress hail. It's a great Great slogan. D. Frank Robinson. And actually, no, uh, great story meeting D, D at, at convention. Um, towards the end of convention, I had, I've already met him by this point in time. But towards the end of convention, I walk up to, to, to D. Frank Robinson. And for those of you that are not unaware, he, he's one of the founders of the party. Um, I walk up to him and I ask, hey, uh, people are talking about like this being one of the most like contentious conventions <laughs> ever. Is, is this anything out of the ordinary? He's like, eh. It's a little more contentious than usual. Like, great. If he can have a positive outlook on it or a meh outlook on it, so can I. Dan Berman. Spike Cohen. This is That's the big one right there. He's loved by everybody. <laughs> um, fun thing. LP uh, when LP Texas did their, did their um, uh, karaoke, which you've already told everybody, next convention, everybody's coming to karaoke. Can I hang out? This is a good time. Um, I walk up to Spike and I'm like, hey, so after Justin's incredible speech, you're you're ready to put him on the bottom of your ticket in two years, right? That Cohen Amash. I don't even think Spike shook my hand. I think he took his hand away and was like, like, <laughs> we're not, we're not. And he wasn't even like, a, I don't like Justin Amash. He wasn't like, a, I don't want to be president. He's like, we're not talking about this right now. We got two years away. I'm here listening to karaoke and drinking a little bit. You suck <laughs> bringing it up. AJ, go uh, It's going to be funny. It's going to be hilarious. Spike, it, it's funny. Everyone we want to run for president doesn't want to run for president, and that's probably why libertarians will make better presidents that's... than anybody who wants to run for president um, because why would you ever want someone to wield power who sought power? Well, that, but... That's the other part is, is I almost want Noda to win one of these conventions I go to for like chair or something like that because I really think the people who don't want to be chair probably are going to make really good chairs one day. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm 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 leaving the takeaway with this convention as optimism, if not faith, uh, in the future of the Libertarian Party. Because let's be honest, it's a low bar. It's a low bar to clear. <laughs> things, it's a super uh, low bar. It's a super low bar to clear. To keep all you have to do is cool. don't be corrupt. Don't do shady things to purge members of the party, and you're going to be ahead of the last group of people. Um, and I I trust Angela McCardle to not try to purge people. Um, I've got – I can DM Josh Smith whenever I want and tell him, hey, if you're f screwing around and purging people, like we're going to have a problem. Like I've got Rick Stewart's phone number. I can get your address and show up there. I was only like an eight-hour drive. Like, All right. Hey, well, it's been a good recap. 
educational uncut, some things I didn't catch on and I missed and that I'm happy I caught on. For those of you watching, those of you who want to join the production team, join the insurrection. Those fancy little playing cards AJ just showed off, you can get your very own by heading over to patreon.com slash O'Donnell and signing up at the Anarchist here or higher for $10 a month to support the show and support the program. You get your very own signed copy of uh, the Anarchist Magic the Gathering card from me, but there are other tiers, great tiers, including Fascist, if I, you hate me that much. $20,000 a month buys my silence for the rest of eternity, and I just disappear from all platforms. Um, but that's over on patreon.com slash O'Donnell. You guys can join the insurrection today. Get your very own copy of Assigned Anarchist. Uh, the next batch is actually going out soon, uh, so you can get in this month before they go out. Uh, AJ, follow AJ on Twitter, social media, any last plugs? Final thoughts. Uh, okay, so where the anarchist thing came from, uh, like four or five years ago, I went and saw uh, Adam Kokesh speak in in Cleveland, and I got him to sign an anarchist, and I've had that one on my decks forever. And one day while I was in New Hampshire, Justin and I were playing Magic, and I showed it to him. He was like, this is really cool, and it sort of took off from there. Justin's like, I'm going to start signing a bunch of these and handing them out as part of my – patreon thing and i was like well i'm just gonna collect a binder with a whole bunch of different people uh <laughs> so i have an adam kokesh so so adam kokesh and signing one is was the first is the first anarchist who signed an anarchist and now we're gonna grow it from there awesome. um other plugs uh i don't know uh go to emergentorder.io is that still a thing it's still a thing. You can help save the quill. Still a thing. Quill Go to emergentorder.io. Help save the quill. I care more about the quill than I do about the Libertarian Party, and it is not close <laughs> at all. Um, yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's an it's an operating clubhouse in Manchester, New Hampshire, and at some point in time, we'd like to have other branches. I am I am a lifetime member of the quill and not a lifetime member of LP National, and quill costs more. <laughs> so take that in mind everybody but you know thank you for coming on AJ. thank you for your recap your thoughts and your experiences it's been insightful it's been helpful i'm looking forward to the moving forward with the positivity for the future and low bar everybody last piece of advice go collect a petition go donate to a campaign go make a phone call or send a text but do your bit that's not bitching on facebook and make liberty win in our lifetimes by putting feet on the ground and until next time, be free. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Subversive. Make sure to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications to get alerted every time we go live on YouTube. And make sure to leave some comments and reviews on whatever platform you listen on to let me know what you thought of this episode. And a huge thanks and shout out to our sponsors and the awesome members of the Insurgency on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can join the Insurgency on Patreon by following the links in the description for patreon.com slash O'Donnell. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always catch it the next day on YouTube, Odyssey, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast every day. So until next time, everybody, be free.